This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks with your host, Doug Craig on Moose FM. Good morning and welcome to the show. A little later on, we're going to be sitting down with School District 60 Board Chair Helen Gilbert. We're going to be discussing the district's strategic plan. Uh, They're updating it, I suppose, and uh, how and why you should get involved in that and have your say. They've got a survey that's live until uh, sometime in January. But anyway, we're going to dig into that in a little bit here. But first, my first guest is currently the Peace River Regional District's Electoral Area B Director, but he's looking to move his political office to Victoria, as he was recently named the Conservative Party of BC's candidate for Peace River North. To tell us why he's looking to live on the island part-time, we're joined now by Jordan Keeley. Jordan, welcome back to Moose Talks. Well, thank you for having me again. It's uh, it's it's definitely been a, quite a few times that I've been on here. Yeah, and you've worn a different hat. I feel like every yeah. time, <laughs> so I, I've got a lot related of hats. hats, but nonetheless a little different. So, <laughs> well, let's uh, dig right into it. Uh, why did you decide that provincial politics was kind of the next thing you wanna you wanna pursue here? So currently, I represent. Um, local area B as a director and I sit on the board of the Peace River Regional District and I got into this position I I don't care about money or power I came into this to make a difference and and try and um, help promote change in a positive way and be able to fix problems and throughout the time that I've been in this position there uh, I just keep on running into more and more of the scenarios that they're provincial issues mm-hmm. and the the thing that really bugs me is that it was, there's a bunch of them that I can't really do anything about. I can advocate, and a huge yeah. portion of what we do is advocating. Um, but it, it, when those problems are where people are dying, um, that's that's what I really uh, that, that's what really tweaks me. Mm-hmm. And and when I see the the current approach to government, where they just keep on changing things so quickly, and there's not a lot of forethought about what they're doing, and and they're just pushing it through there's no consultation there's no communication that and when you're at the local level like at the regional district you're really just a slave to the provincial government mm-hmm. um it, it's great that you can help out in a bunch of different ways but when you look at the major issues of like personally what i see uh will make the biggest difference in our lives up here um yeah, financially is is one of the main things is just getting rid of the carbon tax mm-hmm. it's a it's a parasitic tax it doesn't really do anything to help us. It, it doesn't actually help the environment. When I was short hay this year, I went from 85 cows down to 30 cows. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was because I had less hay than previously before because it was dry. Mm-hmm. Um, me paying carbon tax didn't give me more hay. Yeah, That didn't help me. Um, when mother Mother Nature decides to change or do something, the best thing that we can do is adapt and and try and prep for if there's the same scenarios happening over and over and um i really think that when you do the when you get rid of the carbon tax it it allows that inflation to start calming down just because a carbon tax it ripples through every sector and one product can have that carbon tax applied in 10 different ways 
So if you if you really if you wanted to cause inflation, carbon tax is what would do it on the federal level and provincial. So one of the biggest changes that I'd I'd push for is to try and eliminate that tax. And along with on the conservative plan, there's four other taxes that they want to get rid of as well. And the fuel fuel mm-hmm. standard tax is one of them. That is something that would benefit every single one of us yeah. instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, my my second thing that and we see it all around us and it's huge up here and compared to other areas is our healthcare system. Yeah. We need a reform, but when when we look at the healthcare system, we have to look at it by region because every region is different. Um, there's different needs. There's right now my father-in-law, he's been in the hospital for seven and a half months now. He had a stroke. He's waiting to get into Peace Villa. Um, you, you go in there and on average, over half the nurses are traveling nurses. Mm-hmm. No matter how many we try and train, um, a lot of the ones that are in place, they're, they're getting burnt out because they're overloaded. They're being overworked. We, we can barely fill the need. And I, I think that over the course of the pandemic, we really brought in some tools that were, instead of finessing our way through things, they were like a giant club. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the way that um, people were treated in so many different ways was fair. And I think it made things worse. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to reevaluate where we stand and, and actually have a proper look at the scenario. Um, I'm a mechanic by trade. So when it comes to fixing something, you have to diagnose it and start from the basic problem and figure out where to go from there. And right now, the the current solution that we keep on seeing provincially is to just keep on coming up with these huge plans. It's the, some of them might be great ideas, but there's no forethought and proper action to go after them. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we need to bring BC back to basics. And once you're once you focus on the core problems, you need to use common sense because it's in when you're looking at it just on paperwork. That's one thing, but when you look at real life, you you're you can go to the hospital and you can see with your own sense as to what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the kind of approach that we have to start using. So even though I may not be a lawyer, I may not be a doctor. Um, I'm not your standard politician, uh, but what, what I do is that I fix things. Mm-hmm. And right now, the reason that I got into this, this role, um, five years ago, I never would have saw myself being a politician. I still don't like being called a politician. <laughs> um, I, I think it's, it, it, I got in it to, to fix things because we see so many problems nowadays that it, when you look at the healthcare system, it becomes exponentially worse when you look at the drugs that are on our streets. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think those hardcore drugs, especially some of them like um, fentanyl, I, I don't think there is any application where it can be used safely except for in a hospital because it's a percentage of a percentage on a patch. Mm-hmm. There is no way that somebody could self-medicate properly. It doesn't matter what training you have or if there's safe injection. That is a poison if it is used on the streets. Mm-hmm. I don't care how you look at it. And it's probably the one, of, one of the most detrimental things we've seen for lives being lost. And I, I think we need to recriminalize those drugs because I really don't think there is any safe way to be able to use those. You can self-medicate with, with a beer. You can figure out where your limits are. But with marijuana or with, um, with fentanyl, you, you use it once you're dead. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's, there's, there, there's, not a, there, there's a very, very fine line of how that works. Um, for the people that are struggling, I think what we really need is a treatment system, a proper treatment system. Right now, 
over the course of the pandemic, we, we have two psychiatrists in town. Uh, over the course of the pandemic, their caseload has tripled. So the people that are going through mental health issues or they're struggling with treatment, um, they're not getting the help that they need. We need to get them that help. And then when they actually get that help and they come out, we can't just have the, all those hardcore drugs readily available for them again. Because something's going to trigger them. Does it, 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 it's everything, everything, every addiction um, has, a, has a trigger point, whether it's a stressor. And the biggest thing is that you don't want that for them to turn back to those drugs right away. Mm-hmm. So by recriminalizing those drugs, it makes it so that they're not as easy to access. And if we support our police, it, it actually helps reinforce the crime that comes with those drugs and the people that push all of that crime. Mm-hmm. Those are people that we we somewhat kept that at bay before. And I, I think if we actually supported our police and our system more, it, it would have been better. Instead, it's it's like we almost went the other direction. And I really feel like it it hurt us in a way that everybody around us has, has probably experienced somebody that's either overdosed or that they've lost. It, it shouldn't happen. And I think that... Um, I really think that that when you look at the major things in our lives, when you when you prioritize scenarios, when people start losing their lives, that is why I'm stepping up for provincial. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's it's I, I have to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do want to get to some of the other sort of things uh, sure. that are in the conservative platform and just sort of local issues as well. But I, yep. you mentioned advocacy as being. Uh, sort of the biggest tool you have in your tool belt, uh, you know, as a municipal politician. Um, do you think, you know, given that if polling can be believed and the election was held tomorrow, the conservatives would form the opposition. Do you think you'd still be in a better position, even in opposition against a government, if they were a majority government, to advocate when you're still not really in a position to, you know, unless you convince the government to do so, to pass your bills, to kind of push your ideas, other than now you're closer to the government yeah. and you could say, hey, minister of whatever in the hallway, here's my idea. You need to do something about this. Do you think that puts you in a better position to do that, even if you happen to still be in the opposition? Um, I think most definitely if you're in power, that that gives you the scenario for the, be- the best case scenario for making change. Sure. Um, I personally believe that when you look at the polling right now, when they're looking at the Conservative Party, there's we don't even really have all of our candidates yet. Mm-hmm. We're, Conservative Party, John's working on making sure that we have a candidate in every riding in British Columbia. Uh, when you When you look at when these strong candidates come out mm-hmm. i might be a little bit different but i i think i'm I, i'm definitely unique compared to a lot of people um but when these candidates come out i think that polling is just going to get stronger mm-hmm. and it's 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 even a you know it's an effective strategy so far that most of what kevin or john uh, rustad said so far uh kevin falcon is just copying those concepts mm-hmm John, John released a, a basic platform quite a while ago, and the the opposition is, is copying pretty much everything on there. And the the scenario that the who I'm going up against they they'll they'll flop to whatever the regional needs are, but they won't actually always back up what they promise. Mm-hmm. If I push that I'm representing 
conservatives, and a lot of what we have up here is conservative. We live in the country. We're, we're a rural community. Everywhere, all the cities around us and municipalities, we're rural. Mm-hmm. Um, if I turn around and say something that I'm going to do to represent the conservative policies that we promise, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to make promises where I'll flip-flop on one thing and go to another to suit the region that it's in. Mm-hmm. And, it, and in all honesty, that when I'm talking about this, I'm referring to our area. I, I live here. My op- the, the, the one that we, we keep on seeing around here that's talking, it's not even our own local MLA. It's the leader of that party, and it's the leader of the opposition that, that I'm now pretty much campaigning against. Mm-hmm. And we, I really think for people to see proper representation of their area, who to vote for, it, it should be an open forum. It should be candidate versus candidate. Because that ultimately is who you're voting for. It, they're, they're the parties. But I, I stand for my area. Mm-hmm. When my constituents say that they want something, I push as hard as I can. My party leader promotes me to represent my region. So if, if the, other, the other person that wants to run in this area wants to stand up and actually do a forum where it's, it's face-to-face, and in front of all of the constituents here, I would love to do that. Because mm-hmm. one thing I guarantee is that when I deal with people in my current constituency, which is over half of what I'm currently trying to apply for on the MLA side, yeah. when I say that I'm going to do something, I actually talk to people. I follow up with them. And I, I try and make a difference. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about John Rustad uh, for a second. Because, of course, he... Um he was ousted from the then BC Liberal Caucus, pardon me, um, for a post that cast out a post he put on social media that cast out on the science of climate change. Um, he made a post on the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation that seemed to be um, coming out against the teaching of sexual orientation and gender in schools. I mean, these positions seem controversial, but I just wonder if you support your your party leader 100%. And I do note that I looked at the platform and it seems to promote parental rights. And I think there was a quote in there about no ideology being forced in the classroom upon the students. Uh, What's your take on on, on those sort of things? So it's amazing when you talk in front of other people, there's there's context to what you have to say. Um, In certain degrees, it gets copied, whether or not it's journalism and it's it's just written as an article, whether or not it's face-to-face like this and people can watch a video and they can can tell exactly what the whole story is. I think things can get taken out of context very easily. Mm -hmm. Um, I support John Rustad completely. Um, The main reason that he got kicked out of that party was that he, he voted for what he believed in and what his constituents wanted. That got him kicked out of the party. Uh, he stuck to his guns. He, he, he felt like he was doing the right thing. And I, I think he did the right thing. And it's, it shows that what he did was right. Because when you talk about splitting or vote splitting, United is splitting. Mm-hmm. They're fractured and they're splitting. They had an MLA walk across the floor. If you want to talk about the concept of vote splitting, one MLA walking across the floor is probably the biggest change in voting split, vote splitting that you can see. And there was contemplation of others. So it's, it's not just, this is, this is because you have 
a party that that likes to whip and to to persecute their their MLAs for for wanting to represent their areas. So it that was one of the things that I loved was that when I I said to John I didn't really like party politics for that fact that I I if I'm representing a, a community I, I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. And if, if somebody's going to come along and try and whip me for doing that, I'm not going to be involved in it. And I told John that flat out. And he, he said, I, I, 100, I 100% support you standing up for your community. And, it, and it's very clear when you, the conservative values are very straightforward. They're, they're not going to bounce around from one spectrum to another. When you look at the United Party, like they're, they're a centrist party, um, but they're they're pushing more socialists. Like they're, it's almost like when you vote for them for some of the things you're voting for the NDP at the same time, they'll turn around and, and copy the conservatives. So you really don't know what you're getting when you vote for them. And I think that's why um, somebody may have been kicked out or why some of them are choosing to leave is because they're they really don't know what they're representing. And mm-hmm. I I don't think that that really helps at all, especially when you look at. The trend that we have right now with the NDP, it's, I think the whole system has shifted socialist. Mm-hmm. And it's, even when you look at what the liberals used to be compared to what they are now, it really has shifted socialist. And in that house, there's, there's pretty much nobody conservative anymore. And, and when you go too far, when you spend the amount of money that they have, like if you add up the debt for all the provinces, and the country, it's almost $3 trillion. Now, my parents almost lost their house in the 80s because of that interest rate. Mm-hmm. And it's, you, you see certain things that trigger inflation, and that when leaders get too carried away, it has to get reined in. And conservatives do an amazing job of trying to take things back to basics and fix things. And right now, we really need to fix things. I think that when we pull back that tax money, we can replace that with fresh revenues. We see that all around here. We've got oil and gas. We've got forestry. We've got agriculture. We need to we need to boost all of our natural resources. We can do it in a sustainable way. We can do it so then we can protect the climate as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can do it in, a, in an equal manner. I think the biggest thing that when we have more people coming into our country... You can't just stuff them all in the Vancouver. They don't have the infrastructure to deal with it. Mm-hmm. A lot of their infrastructure is getting old as well. It needs to be improved. Where those people can come and where we have a, a shortage in almost every sector, up here, we need people to come here. We need skilled people. We need people to come in. Um, when they come from other countries, we need people that are skilled or professionals. Um, just like I, I have a Red Seal ticket that I can go anywhere across Canada um, I, I like the concept of having a blue seal where we can get other people, professionals from, say, other British Commonwealth countries, or if they're uh, accredited in the right way, that we can fast track them to, to come here and be our doctors or help uh, as nurses and help the, the social workers and the care aides. We, we need to encourage this. And I, I really think that when you look at it from a common sense perspective, and, and I was raised around common sense. I use it all the time. Some people don't have any common sense. Um, that really helps you fix things. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, oh, we've only got a couple of minutes left, so sure. I want to make sure I talk to you about this. Um, the Taylor Bridge, uh, evergreen topic of popularity around yeah. here. Um, I mean, you even mentioned about where your farm is. You, you drove the Cecil Lake Road to come out here this yes. morning. You came through the coolies. 
infrastructure spending? Is there a strategy um, that you and the Conservative Party think this will work better in us getting the government to give us the money to replace the bridge, to improve the highways around here, to make them less dangerous, uh, both if you form opposition as an opposition member or if you form government? Well, I'm I'm going for government. Yeah. <laughs> we're going for the majority, and we're getting stronger. I uh, the more I get involved with this, the support that we have, it's huge. Um, I think when you look at the major projects that are starting to wrap up, we we need to look at some some major infrastructure as well to to boost the economy and get people working. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of infra- infrastructure to do. So when it comes to the Taylor Bridge, I've been in talks with John on that. That's one thing that is definitely a priority for up here that I'm going to push for. Um, we had somebody on here previously that was talking about that he he was going to make sure it happened for the for the United if they get in. Well, you know, he was the infrastructure minister before, mm-hmm. and it never got done. It got talked about with the mayor that we had. It never got done. He was in the position of power to make it happen, and it never got done. So when somebody comes into this area and says what they can do to help this area or that they know best, it would be nice if they actually lived here. <laughs> so right. it's one thing that I would like to wrap up on. I don't know how long we have, um, but I, I I just wanted to say that uh, the the one thing that really motivated me to get into this was that my I, I lost my father uh, a year year and a half ago. And it, it really was what pushed me and motivated me. It, it opened my eyes as to the state of our healthcare system. It's even down in the lower mainland where my dad was. Uh, it's it, it's in shambles down there too. Mm-hmm. And when I when I saw that loss, it really became a personal issue. And that's where this is personal for me. So you you hear some people they say, oh, this is just politics. No, this is personal. And I I'm gonna put everything I have into it to make sure that something is going to get fixed. Whether it is majority or opposition, I'm keeping it in my mind that it's majority. But if that is the one gift that I can give people up here, it's the fact that my legacy that hopefully I can leave is a better future for their their children. All right. Well, we're going to have to leave it there, Jordan. But uh, thank you so much for coming by today to talk a bit about your candidacy. I appreciate it. Excellent. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. That's Jordan Keeley, the Conservative Party of BC candidate for Peace River North in the upcoming election, which uh, I believe is going to happen sometime around October of next year. We'll be right back to talk to Helen Gilbert, the board chair of School District 60, right after this on Moose Talks. Welcome back to the show. I'm just ready. (laughs) Uh, My next guest is the board chair of the School District 60 Board of Trustees, and we're here to talk a bit about the district's strategic plan, which uh, they're updating right now, and they'd like you to be involved and have your say in some things. So I'm very glad to uh, welcome Helen Gilbert to Moose Talks. Helen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. So tell me, uh, I guess, actually, you know, the first thing I wanted to know a bit about was just the, the school district board. Tell us a bit about what you do as a board and, and even what you do as board chair. So school districts are not a well understood local government entity. So it's a great question. Um, We operate in a co-governance model with the Ministry of Education. So there are some things that we 
are expected to do from the ministry level. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then there are other areas where we have some local decision-making power. So we get funding for the students in our district, and we are responsible for distributing that funding to our schools and our operations and our facilities and keeping everything running. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where we have local decision-making would be in things like transportation. Uh, We go back and forth with the ministry with regards to what our facility needs are and our Mm -hmm. facility upgrades are. Quite excited that we have a new school that, or a partial rebuild, but almost a new school happening in 101, and Mm -hmm. we'll be opening a new gym in Upper Halfway. And those projects came through based on the identification of local need, and that comes from the school board. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we're going to talk, I'm going to ask you more about the capacity um, situation in a minute, but tell us a bit about this strategic plan. And that's that I guess is you're revamping or you're kind of coming together with a new one, updating it maybe is a yeah. better word. Well, basically the board um, that left in 2018 had put a strategic plan in place And they actually were ahead of their time because Mm -hmm. the ministry, at the point they put a strategic plan in place, was not expecting boards to do strategic plans. They now are. And when they did that strategic plan, they did not have a lot of community engagement in the development of that plan. And the new board came on where there was four of us that were brand new, and we looked at the existing plan that was left, and it was good work. So we've done some modifications and some tweaking in our last term, but in this term, it was really important to us that we renew it. It is now a ministry expectation that all boards have a strategic plan, and We wanted to do that community engagement piece that was not there Mm -hmm. in the production of the existing one. So we've started um, with our internal stakeholders. So we've met with teachers, support staff, bus drivers, custodians, uh, district leadership team, and gone through an information gathering process with them, our DPAC as well, uh, and we're reaching we've reached out to local government we are at the stage where we have an online survey that closes on january the 26th and we're really looking to get the word out to have people do that survey Mm -hmm. and what we're also hoping is that some of the people that have been involved in our engagement activities to date we took their information at that time but they may have further thoughts or other ahas that we're hoping they'll go back and do the survey and we'll capture it that way we still have to meet with hudson hope and uh taylor and then we've still got some of our rural schools we're going to be meeting with mm-hmm. In addition to reaching out to the adult population of the community, we had student engagement activities designed for a prior, there was a primary one, a more intermediate middle school one, and a secondary one. And those are being done in our schools right now. So we'll also be able to bring student voice back to our strategic planning. Okay. Um, Very quickly, I mean, strategic plan is sort of a corporate kind of term, right? So big picture, this is really about, um, as part of it, I assume, we uh, were, guessing is not the word I want, we're estimating that 
we're going to have this many students in this year and this year and this in each part of the plan. We're going to need this. This thing is at the end of the life. We need to start working on uh, renovating or rebuilding. Mm -hmm. We may need a new school. That's sort of what this plan is about, is anticipating what's going to be happening. That will be part of our probably what will emerge as a continuation of our operations and facilities pillar. And that will be part of our our capital planning. we also, in our information gathering, have some other focus areas. One of them is student learning and wellness, people development, governance, mm-hmm. uh, truth and reconciliation. And we now are no longer just the Ministry of Education. We're the Ministry of Education and Child Care. So yeah. that whole early learning piece is a new piece that we're gathering some information to guide us. Strategic plan easiest way to think of it is kind of your roadmap for the next three to five years where you're going to focus your priorities, um, your budgets, and your energy. Okay. So when parents, um, or I, I suppose anyone really who lives here, whether you're a parent or not, or have students in the system can fill out this survey, what are sort of the things you're asking them to tell you about in the survey? So um, we're asking for information related to those six areas that I I just talked about. Um, And we designed questions to help focus some attention. So, for example, for student learning, describe a time where you were really engaged in learning and you didn't want it to stop. Mm -hmm. So that we gather that information about, you know, what are... what are really key learning opportunities? What are the things that we need to think about? Recruitment and retention is a huge issue for us. And so in this people development, what are some of the things that would help you in your job and have you want to stay in mm-hmm. our community is part of the focus of the questions. Governance, how are we doing how do you know what kind of communication would you like as a community? Um, truth and reconciliation, where are we at? Where, where do we need to go? What are our priorities? So those are the kinds of, of things we're gathering information for. Mm-hmm. Do you have an, a, kind of an estimate on how long it takes to fill out the survey, if, if you were to answer every question? Um, I think it probably 15 to 20 minutes. Okay. At, but in each of those bucket areas, there is the opportunity to provide an open-ended response. So it would really depend on yeah. how in-depth you wanted to go. Okay. Um, I, I just wanted to quickly ask you about kind of two issues that I imagine are things that would yep. be come up and discussed kind of in, in, in people's responses to the survey. Um, capacity issues, of course, we hear this, I think, especially in the high school. Like, mm-hmm. You know, North Peace Secondary School, there's lots and lots of kids there. Uh, talk of maybe maybe we need a second high school in School District 60. Um, just out of curiosity, is this something that you guys discuss at the board? And, and is does it come up when you're talking to the ministry? We, well, we could really use funding for something well, like that. Well, right now, um, we submit a capital plan. And the priorities in our capital plan are based on level of need. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of talk about the need for a second high school, and it's actually an area that the board is interested in. And so at our meeting on Monday, we have a report coming back because our high school actually is not serving the same number of students that it did at one point. We've mm. had more students 
at North Peace than we do right now. Wow. And so we're hearing the same thing. Like, so it's what was different. And I know that one of the things that was different when we had more students was we operated on um, a, we had a flex block and not everybody had a common lunch hour. So there are some things and some strategies that could be employed right now to deal with some of the things that people are talking about at the high school. So the first thing always is to gather information and see where you're at and make sure that accurate information is is getting out. I know that some of the concept of there not being enough space at the high school came about because students didn't necessarily get the courses that they had requested Mm -hmm. and it was we don't have the capacity to offer well sometimes it's not necessarily a space issue it could be a staffing issue or it could be there just were not enough students that picked that course that Mm -hmm. wanted to run it the other thing we run into with the courses that we offer is students put their requests in in april that's what your timetable is built on they come in september and some of them have changed their mind about what they want to take and oops there's not space for me now to get get what i want so it's definitely an area that we're we're looking at gathering some information on we ideally right now really would like to see some space expansion at our middle schools um one of the things that we discovered and and robert's young mom murray amazing facilities a great addition to the community but we actually did not meet the ministry's projected growth when those buildings opened so we took the same number of students and now we've added them into two more buildings with two more sets of overhead and all of those kinds of things so those become factors in decision making about adding all right. Well, Helena, we're out of time. So um, where can people access this uh, this survey and, and fill it out? What's On the best way? Our district website, www.prn.bc.ca, and there's right at the top a place that will take you to the survey. And also, if people are interested in what the board is working on and doing, you can see the minutes of our meetings there. Mm-hmm. And uh Look forward to down the road that information that you're requesting about North Peace being there. There you go. All right, Helen. Well, thank you so much for coming by to talk to us about this day. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. That's Helen Gilbert, the board chair of the School District 60 Board of Trustees. Big thanks to our guests today, Jordan Keeley and uh, Helen Gilbert, for joining us. You can make sure you stay up to date every morning with local news delivered straight to your inbox. All you got to do is head over to energeticcity.ca slash newsletters and sign up for the newsletter right now. You can also sign up uh, for the uh, Peace Politics newsletter as well to find out more about municipal government politics as that goes on. All the newsletters are available for you to sign up to right now over at energeticcity.ca slash newsletters. That's our show for today. Jordan Prentice and Trey Lopashinsky are the producers of Moose Talks. I'm Dub Craig. Be well. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.